Welcome everyone to another episode of In A Nutshell, the fortnightly podcast hosted by Natural Gas World, where we look at the global news and trends in the gas industry. My name is Joseph Murphy and with me today is Mitch Hein, of, uh, CEO of Germany's Electrokea, to discuss a proprietary biomethanation technology that the company has developed. The process involves taking CO2 produced by an anaerobic digester uh, and green hydrogen to produce synthetic natural gas that can help decarbonize difficult to abate industries and serve as a energy storage. The technology has gained serious attention with Electrokea recently bringing on board international oil field services provider Baker Hughes as a lead investor. Hi Mitch, thanks for joining us. Hey Joseph, great to be here, thank you. So I hope I, my, my very brief uh, summary of, of your technology was, was more or less accurate, but maybe for the benefit of our viewers, you could walk us through what the technology does and its various steps uh, for the benefit of our viewers. Great, happy to do so, and it's a pleasure to be here. So the you mentioned correctly that biomethanation is the core of Electrokea's uh, technology, and the focus, mm -hmm. of course, for for us is the you know hard to abate um, industries that are using right now fossil gas, um, where we think renewable gases are are going to be a, an important part of the future. And so our technology is is based on a microbe, which seems a bit odd because the uh, the biggest barrier that we see to hard to abate industries is actually being able to do this at scale mm -hmm. and so we need to scale a microorganism to macro scale and that's been what our primary goal has been to develop a system that will do that and principally it means to develop the ability to use this microbe which looks like a bacterium but it's not it's a little tiny rod it's called an archaea but to have that operate in a system with sufficiently high energy density that you don't need a huge footprint in order to work at scale. So that's typically what our system did or, or does. And uh, what we do is we, we take green hydrogen and we take carbon dioxide from essentially any source. We can also use, as you mentioned, biogas. We can use raw biogas. So you don't have to purify the CO2 away from mm -hmm. its inherent uh, components like methane or hydrogen sulfide. And we literally bubble the hydrogen and the CO2 into the bottom of, of our reactor, which is a vertical pipe. It's quite simple. Um, it has an agitator in it in order to mix the gases in uh, in solution with the, the microbes that do one thing. They gobble up hydrogen, they combine it with CO2, and there's three products, a little bit of heat, water, and methane. And by the <laughs> time the bubbles reach the top of the reactor, we have essentially pure methane. So maybe a small amount of uh, some unreacted CO2 or hydrogen, but usually very low, 97, 98% methane in the product. And of course it's, as you might imagine, this is in water, so it's soaking wet gas. So you've got to dry it before you can uh, deliver it to the gas grid or to its use. So it's it's really quite simple. The, the organisms do the hard part. Mm -hmm. And um, you have a plant in operation, that's correct, right? You Well, it's been in operation for quite a few years now. Right, we have we have two plants that we've operated. One in uh, in Denmark, which we actually started operating in um, 2016, and we ran that one until um, early uh, 2020. It's now it, it's we could turn it back on again. It's it's uh, getting ready to be deployed for uh, another opportunity, so it's not operating. And another plant that we ran in Switzerland, 
that we ran that we built with um, funding from the European Union uh, Horizon 2020 program. Mm -hmm. It's a larger project called Store and Go that compared several methanation technologies, and we ran that plant for about uh, eight months. Uh, under the terms of the, the grant demonstration, and now we've moved that plant to Germany and we're getting ready to set that one up and run it again in uh, Pfaffenhof in Germany. Mm -hmm. um, so this is one this is one way of um, decarbonizing the gas grid, right? Um, but exactly. there are other solutions to that. Uh, you know, you know, part of your process is producing the green hydrogen. That in itself can serve as a, a a means of storing energy. That in itself can be uh, put into the grid to to help decarbonize it. You also, you also mentioned biogas. Um, that too can be put into the grid. What what, what is the what are the advantages of your technique in in terms of um, uh, reducing the carbon footprint? Great. So on, on the great great question and on the the back end of this, the the decarbonizing the gas grid, of course, is our goal. And mm -hmm. it's something that's been done well with the power grid at this point in time by displacing some fossil assets. And so our goal is to displace the, the fossil-based methane that we're seeing in the gas grid right now with as much renewable gas as we can. And, and mm -hmm. you're right, it's possible to put hydrogen into the gas grid. You can put probably not biogas, but you can put methane that's been purified from biogas into the gas grid. There's some town grids, yeah. town gas grids where you can put biogas in it, but the but the larger natural gas system really requires methane of relatively high purity. And so you can mm -hmm. do that by, for instance, removing the CO2 from biogas. In our case, we simply take that raw biogas that's, you know, let's say as an example, it's 50-50 methane and CO2, run that through our reactor, and you have 100% methane coming out the top. So we provide a, a similar purification function, if you will, to the methane in the biogas, but we double essentially the amount of gas that comes out. And there's no then emission of CO2 from the biogas production source. The energy that we need to turn that CO2 into methane needs to come from a green source. In our case, we're using green hydrogen. And mm -hmm. in most of our current applications that we're looking uh, toward developing commercially, that green hydrogen is coming from an electrolyzer that's running on renewable power. So that provides a connection then to uh, a second part of the renewable energy uh, platform, which is wherever and whenever we can find renewable power that is either underpriced or that is unwanted and otherwise would be curtailed or couldn't be easily stored we're able to put it into mm -hmm. the chemical bonds of methane and put it into the gas grid where it's available for use at any time and any place that's connected to the gas grid. So we're affecting a method of storing energy and redistributing it. And we're displacing, of course, mm -hmm. a, a fossil methane molecule every time we do that. So that's the overall objective that we're after. And to be able to do that mm -hmm. at scale means we need large quantities of CO2 and large quantities of, of renewable uh, hydrogen. Mm -hmm. And methanation isn't exactly a new technology, uh, so it's been in use for decades. So, what what makes your your technological process stand out? 
Right. So, so what makes ours stand out is it's actually older than the technology that's been um, in in play for for decades. I mean, you know, chemical mm-hmm. methanation using metals and metal oxides, is, you know, at high temperature and pressure, has been around for over 100 years. It's a basic Sabatier process. It's well known. It's been commercialized. It's quite sensitive to uh, contaminants. Um, which is one of the advantages that our system has, and it tends not to be overly flexible in terms of duty cycle. So Mm -hmm. what makes our system different is that we're able to operate at relatively low temperatures and pressures, which means that duty cycle on and off and changes in flow rates are relatively easy to manage. There's an Mm -hmm. esoteric piece of the the microorganisms that, uh, from a chemistry perspective, that makes them more amenable to multiple duty cycles, and that is since it's not a chemical reaction that occurs with a bunch of intermediates in a reaction pot, it's a concerted <laughs> reaction where there's a, a bound CO2 molecule that's simply reduced with four two-electron transfers to yield methane. There's no intermediates. So when you turn it off, you stop the process with no intermediates around. When you turn it on, you make a product with no intermediates. So that's what makes the process different. But this process has been around in these organisms, the archaea, for people reckon uh, onwards of about 3 billion years. They were the first methane producers on the planet. We just happened to have uh, found in a laboratory at the University of Chicago, a strain that was developed by Dr. Lori Metz that is phenomenally inefficient for itself, which means it's really efficient for us. So the the Mm -hmm. clever piece of this is, it's an organism that sits in this tank, but it makes very little of itself only about one and a half percent of the carbon and the energy that goes into the system goes to make or maintain the organism and maintain the catalyst. The rest of it turns into product. And for most fermentation systems, the opposite is true. You get very, very small percentage of the product and you get a lot of biomass. In our case, we get very, very small amounts of biomass and we're able to operate this system with high energy efficiency and high yields of carbon dioxide and methane. And to what extent is your process, can it be viewed as carbon neutral? The the process itself is determined in its neutrality based on any basic life cycle analysis. If you put mm-hmm. garbage in, you'll get garbage out. If you put um, electrons into the system or green hydrogen or blue hydrogen that have very, very low carbon index, mm-hmm. you will get a product out that has a very low carbon index. As you know, there are you know, philosophical, religious, economic, and, and regulatory, um, let's say, values that are placed on the sources of energy and also the sources of CO2. And so in in the economic environments that we're working, there are some sources of carbon dioxide that are regarded as having higher value because they come from um, biologic sources. And mm-hmm. there are some markets where if, if you make CO2 from a geologic source, even though you're ultimately carbon neutral in your life cycle analysis, you still won't get economic credit because the carbon didn't come from a biologic source. So mm-hmm. the, the the neutrality of the carbon and the actual carbon index that you calculate um, is only going to be determined by the source of the energy that you have and how efficiently you run the process. Whether or mm-hmm. not you get credit for that in any kind of regulated market is really going to be determined by the specific regulations in your political geography. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and have obviously, I mean, at what kind of stage are you with the with the business? You know, what how would you describe your your phase of development 
Um, and also, as I mentioned, uh, you formed this re recent partnership with Baker Hughes, bringing on Baker Hughes as a, as a lead investor. Um, what does Baker Hughes really bring to the table um, to your business? And are you looking for other strategic partners like that, uh, which is to say partners that are bringing more than just funding? Yeah, good. Um, great question. I mean, I think the, the two parts of your question converge on the same answer, and that is the stage of our mm -hmm. business is really, we've, we have, from a venture capital-based business, which is what we are at this point in time, secured several strategic partners who have helped us align what we're, what, what our, our overall uh, business objectives are with what the market needs are which is to decarbonize the gas, the, the gas grid at scale. And so we're at a position now where we've de-risked the technology internally with, with venture capital over the last uh, six to seven years, and we need mm -hmm. to move to scale in order to meet the market needs and to meet customer needs. And so the Baker Hughes partnership for us is a watershed event uh, in mm -hmm. that we, we now have a partner that is integrated throughout the value chain, has the ability to scale in the market, and can work with us to make sure that we can accelerate our development at, at scale, but also avoid, you know, having to, um, I would say, have our our investors, of which Baker Hughes is one, but have our investors uh, pay for us to come up the learning curve. Because what Baker Hughes and and our other two strategic partners, who are Energy 360, God, who's a uh, a utility in in Switzerland, and Storengy, a division of NG. Uh, they can help us avoid, I think, what would be the pitfalls of a small company that is moving from a technology stage to a commercial stage. So that for us is 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 key. So it's clearly the insight. But we're working with Baker Hughes in a partnership to actually scale carbon capture technology linked with methanation to be able to deliver uh, gas to the grid at gigawatt scale instead of megawatt scale, which is where we've been working. So we're literally talking about a partnership that will give us a three log increase in our capacity to be able to deliver gas to the grid. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, it, it, it might be a premature question, but um, presumably you have developed some sort of cost ranges for what, mm -hmm. how much it would take to produce this, this synthetic natural gas, sorry, synthetic gas. Right. So the answer is, you know, obviously yes. I mean, we've we've operated two facilities at megawatt scale for you know multiple years now, and and we understand a good bit about the operating costs of a system at that scale. Um, we understand also the the cost of construction and delivery of a of a methanation system that's of our design, which is as I said, this pipe. It's a relatively mm -hmm. simple technology, so the scalability of it is quite good. I mean, it literally has only three rotating parts in it. It's a hot. You think about it. It's a it's a crock pot with an egg beater in it, a pump mm -hmm. to take the heat out of the system, and a compressor to blow the gas in. So the scalability of that we think is quite good, and and one of the reasons we're excited about our our partnership with with Baker Hughes is that they of course have been in this business for a while and they have scaled technology that is supporting the market right now. So they understand more about the costs of these uh, these projects at scale than we do. Um, mm -hmm. But we think that the the, the cost of a methanation system. Uh, will be less than the cost of the generation of the renewable uh, hydrogen at this point. The the cost points will be lower for our system. 
and right. the operating cost in the system at the end of the day will simply be the the price of the power and the cost of securing the carbon dioxide. Those are your two main mm -hmm. costs. Okay. Do you do you have a number I can I I can cite there? Sure. It, it's a floating <laughs> scale. I mean, there's no absolute number, yeah, but, of course, but of course. everybody wants to know. So it it all comes down to system efficiency. So if you take renewable power and you make renewable hydrogen from that with an electrolyzer. Mm -hmm. um, you're getting about maybe 70 to 75% yield. So you've increased the price of the energy that you're running through the system by a factor of about 1.4 to 1.5. Mm -hmm. Our system operates at between 75 and 80% efficiency. So you multiply 0.8 times 0.7 and the overall energy yield efficiency from the, your system from start to finish is going to be between 50 and 60% yield out in the mm -hmm. methane price. So if you pay... 50 cents a kilowatt hour for your electricity the mm -hmm. cheapest you're ever going to be able to sell your gas for is a dollar per megawatt hour so mm -hmm. it's going to be completely driven by the cost of the power that you have and if you have also a cost for co2 which right now is quite low um so so what i would say is if you want to build this business in a way that you're creating uh, value for your investors the real value that you're generating is the value in the what we would call the carbon attribute value of the gas. So you know what your energy cost is. It's it's basically twice what you had to pay for it. So the value that you're getting in addition to that is the value of having taken carbon dioxide out of the system, out of you know the, the release from the carbon, uh, mm -hmm. or release of the carbon into the atmosphere. And if that's $25 a ton, or $30 a ton, or $100 a ton you will be able to receive a part of that carbon attribute value as part of the fuel value that you're selling as a renewable gas. And mm -hmm. so in today's world, um, that might be maybe $15 a million BTU um, in, in the U.S. market. So $15 an MMBTU might be the current cost or the price for generating renewable natural gas. As the cost mm -hmm. of power comes down and as the system scales, you could drop that cost in half. Mm -hmm. So that roughly okay. doesn't the range that we're talking about. If if you compare that to current markets in say California, where the renewable gases that are being sold into the transportation market with the California Air Resources Board LCFS system, the mm -hmm. prices are are a multiple of the one I just told you about. I mean, you might be in the you know, in some markets, even in Sweden, you might be in the vicinity of maybe 100 to 120 uh, euros per megawatt hour for the renewable gas. So mm -hmm. those are the benchmarks that you're looking at today. I don't think in the long run it will cost that much, but um, but I think it'll be somewhere between probably seven and about $15 an MMBTU in future markets. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And in the past, there has been uh, quite strong uh, movement in Europe towards uh, the promotion of full electrification. Um, I think, you know, there's been a recognition in recent years in Europe that that, that might not be all that realistic. Um, what's your view on that? Why, you know, why, why do you need to decarbonize the gas grid? Why not, why not simply electrify everything? 
Well, I, I mean, I think the simple answer to the question is if you want to electrify everything, you probably have to decarbonize the gas grid because somewhere between 30 and 50 percent of the energy that you put into the electrical system is coming from natural gas. So you have to replace that. Um, and, you know, right now there isn't a really good replacement um, for that, that, that you can do at scale. Um, you're in a situation where if you want to do that all with renewable electricity generation, that's a bit of a daunting task. But um, when you want to turn your toaster on um, and the sun's not shining or the wind's not blowing, you have a hard time getting that power available to you. And, and batteries that can efficiently, from a you know an economic perspective, store energy for four to six hours won't mm -hmm. provide sufficient buffer. And there, and there may not be enough lithium available to do that at an affordable cost. So the, the best reservoir that we have... Um, both for energy storage, but also for providing reliability and durability of our electrical system is actually the natural gas grid and the the gas to power, um, you know, peaker plants and baseload plants that we have that are distributed in, you know, most of the developed uh, countries in the world. So mm -hmm. the backbone of the current, you know, power generation system really is the natural gas system. And I think that, that most people that, you know, that love renewable power, as I do, don't realize the critical role that gas plays in maintaining the stability and, and resilience of that gas grid, or rather of that power grid. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, so, so I mean, where would be the best places to deploy this technology um, in the world? Um, so you mentioned one factor is, you know, an abundant supply of cheap, cheap renewable energy. What places are suitable? Well, I, you know, I mean, obviously the, the the offshore wind developments, I think, are are looking pretty um, to be pretty important for future development of of large scale renewable electricity. I think, you know, in 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 Europe and in um, and in North America, where the markets are developed or uh, already and are developing more quickly, I think mm -hmm. areas that are they're provided with an abundance of uh, of solar energy will become those you know production areas because they're close enough to the uh, transmission uh, and distribution networks for power for the major metropolitan areas that you'll mm -hmm. see it being developed there I, I see you know certainly a push to do this in um, in China um, and in uh, parts of northern Africa where there are certainly solar resources available to um, you know, develop a lot of renewable power. But I think you'll also see dis distributed renewable energy generation assets uh, showing up in, in most countries that want to move to e either to electrification or to decarbonize their overall energy sector. I think it's going to be everywhere. Mm -hmm. And... As a, you know, if if you were talking to a gas company, um, you know, no surprise, we're, we're natural gas world. A lot of our customers are, a lot of our subscribers are are in the gas industry. Um, should they consider this kind of technology a, a threat or an opportunity? I, I mean, I would. Uh... I would think they would see it as an opportunity, and in most of our conversations, they see it that way. I mean, you know, I, I think that the, you know, the the price of renewable energy on the gas side is going to be higher, you know, than fossil fossil gas for a while to come, and so there's an economic challenge to that. But 
the gas infrastructure that we currently have, as I mentioned before, is the backbone of much of the power industry that we have. But it also supplies significant energy to our industri industrial and commercial customers, for homes, for restaurants. It's a really critical component of the backbone. And the existential risk to you know removing the gas grid for gas utilities and gas companies, I think, is serious. And, mm -hmm. and I think we need to have a, a probably a, an adult conversation overall to say, gosh, this infrastructure is one of the best investments we've ever made. It's incredibly mm -hmm. efficient at distributing and storing energy, and that energy could be renewable. Why don't we stop hating the you know the system? Uh, because it's a fossil system and uh, and obviously contributing to some degree to our our uh, climate uh, gases and think mm -hmm. of it as a way to distribute renewable energy and if we do that we can change the gas without having to change the business models and without having to change um, the infrastructure that we have in place that already efficiently uses that energy source mm -hmm. so our conversations in North America and in Europe which is largely where we've had those conversations have been very positive the issue has been um, scale and price mm -hmm. Now your technology, obviously, you're using the CO2 uh, to to make to make an energy source. Um, another another solution to decarbonizing uh, energy, uh, which I didn't mention earlier, was of course c carbon capture and storage. So that's that's another option available to, to to industries. You know, taking the carbon and putting it away somewhere. Um, again, why 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 do you think it's better to utilize the carbon than than store it away? In, in the North Sea or, or elsewhere. So I, I I honestly think we have to do both. And so what I would say, you know, what what's better probably deter is determined by what the application and the need is. Um, mm -hmm. So you know, currently the carbon uh, is what our world is made of, and it's not going to change as long as you know we're on this planet. You and mm -hmm. I are made from carbon. Most of what we do is made from carbon. Our food sources are all made from carbon. The carbon dioxide cycle is is real. It is the planet. And mm -hmm. so we will be using carbon-based materials, and we are a carbon-based material for a long time. So using carbon as a backbone for what we do is what most of our chemical industry is about, obviously, not just the, the fossil mm -hmm. fuel industry. So finding a way to use carbon well and to recycle it in a circular economy, I think is key to sustainability. Uh, and if you put it all in a hole under the Atlantic, you're not gonna have that carbon available um, to, to reuse it. But if you're mm -hmm. generating it in those large quantities, first of all, the cost of it is dropping. So now it's available as a resource. And if you can use it as an energy carrier, if you can use it um, as a component of, of carrying value in, in uh, in, in chemicals that have more than their energy energy value because they're building blocks for what we do. Using that mm -hmm. carbon as a resource is, I think, incredibly important. And you, we already do that, of course, with everything that we do that's plant-based. All of our plant-based materials are based on carbon that is fixed from the atmosphere by plants. And they're using solar energy to do that. So we're just learning a lesson from the plants that are around us about how to better use and recycle carbon dioxide. So I think it's both. Um, and I think that, you know, if we're going to reduce ultimately the amount of CO2 that we have in the atmosphere, we're, right now we're trying to reduce the rate of release, but if we're actually going to get that number down, um, some of it's going to have to be stored, whether that's underground or in, in mineral form, 
we'll have to get some of it out so that there's a net negative flux of carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Okay, any closing remarks? Oh, it, uh, this is the first time I've had an opportunity to have a platform to speak to the gas industry. So uh, um, I think from Electrikea, we would say, we think we have got a great um, potential product for your customers. It's the same product that you sell and distribute already. We just happen to make it by a different method and we're scaling up and we hope we'll continue doing business with you. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, so this has been another episode of In a Nutshell, the podcast hosted by Natural Gas World, where we look at the global news and trends of the gas industry. Thank you and see you next time. Thanks, Joseph.